And now I'd like to welcome to the stage uh, someone who's been away for a couple of weeks. Please help me welcome back Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Yeah, thank you. All right. Good morning. Great to be back. I was traveling. So what I'd like to invite you to do is, uh, anybody here for the first time? Welcome, welcome. We won't um, over-hospitalize you, I think that's the word. And when I, was, I grew up in a family of 11 kids and my dad's excuse for not letting us get a dog is that we would pet it to death, so I just want to let you know that it's one of my spiritual gifts, restraint, but welcome. <clears throat> what? All right. So what we do uh, is we sing a song right now, and then we, we say a prayer, and we continue to build this beautiful energy that uh, began to percolate so beautifully at our first service. So if you would like to stand and sing, that's great. If not, please stay seated. And Brown will lead us in this. Part of the soundtrack of my life is this song, i got to tell you. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy for all the world And there's quite enough love And enough power To walk through our every fear Spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. Know with me in this moment, and I invite you to allow my words to be your words. Take from my words what you connect with. Let the rest wash over you. But what in this moment, what I recognize on behalf of myself and everyone here that is listening to this, or open and available to the vibration of what is being expressed and what the activity of the conversation represents, is a recognition of this power for good, this one life, this divine life, this unseen force, this army of light, however you characterize it, and it is true for you, then it is true. But what I know about this is that that life animates my life, all life. Everywhere I look, I choose part of my spiritual practice is to see the presence of the divine in everyone, despite my good opinion about their behavior, that there is a spark of divinity that lives within every one of us. Every person on this planet, everything that is in form is animated and comes from that one source. And so what I know in that is that that life I claim in this moment and invite you to know with me, I claim that life is mine in this moment. And in doing that, this sacred invocation, you and I are shifted and changed at the deepest levels of our, of our, our being. And so I know that every good thing necessary for you and I to be made aware of, to realize, to put down, to transform, 
to transcend whatever it may be, wherever we are on this journey, the support, the resources, the intelligence, the wisdom, the intuition, and the inspiration, the energy, and the remembrance of who we are and whose we are is available here and now. And I instruct this infinite intelligence to work with me in the highest way possible, always bringing me back to the highest thoughts possible, to stand and, and, and be able to continue to nurture my divine gifts, known and unknown to me and known and unknown to you. But that is our true divine nature. For this I give thanks. I give thanks for this beautiful day for our volunteers, for our ministers, for our practitioners, for our, all of our people at work within this community and, and beyond this community, our musicians, for our movement upon this planet. May everything necessary for you and I and for every form of good upon this planet continue to be resourced in a beautiful, wonderful way. For this I give thanks and I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Please be seated. Thank you for standing with me in that. It's a beautiful thing to come together in that agreement. Where, where two or more are in agreement, it is done. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about what we're agreeing to. Because it's important. It's really important to the quality of our life. But before we get into that, I want to share, I want to, uh, share someone with you today that has just been a a blessing in my life and in the community and and when we share our stories together we we can see ourselves coming and going and it's important uh, I think to share those stories because I can say it in certain ways but many times when we hear it from another uh, person it it impacts us in a a little different way so I'm going to invite Chris Tylan to come forward and and share a bit of his story with you today about his his experience with his um, with the community and also his spiritual journey so Chris thanks for staying for Round two and being with us this morning. Chris Tylen. Geez, I don't even remember what I said in the first one, but we'll give it a shot, see if we can do it again in the second one. Join the club. I feel the same way every week. (laughs) I know what that's like. Well, I'd first like to begin and just tell you a little bit of how I came to the center. Um, You know, uh, I was involved in many organized religions, and and I felt very boxed in by them because, you know, things like, you know, being able to go to John of God and even learning about that, the things that we learn about at this center, would never happen in, in most organized religions because they're just really focused on what they're teaching you, right? And, and, and that's not a bad thing, but it was just very limiting to me. And then I've, I learned to be, um, you know, learned to uh, uh, listen to inspiration. And usually, you know, within two or three times that, you know, an idea or somebody tells you to do something, you tend to want to pay attention. Well, that's how I came to the church. Uh, Friends started telling me and so on and so forth about it, and, and I showed up, and, I, and then I met this man, and he started teaching out of many, many books. Um, he's, he's the only guy I know who actually, you know, managed to get a doctor just for reading a bunch of books. <laughs> it's amazing. Right? Maybe one day that'll happen to me. I don't know. Um, but, but through the center, I started taking some courses. I took uh, the foundation class. And, and uh, you know, as I read these books, and, and I think the, the biggest change comes in your life when you not only read a book, but you tend to pull things out of that book. And, and I'm a big proponent of processes. And, and this is what the foundation class, you know, opened up for me was many, many processes. And, and one of them that, 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 you know, I really learned to embrace was meditation. Uh, you know, in the beginning... Um, you know, uh, you know, spending five minutes in my head was absolutely brutal, right? Just couldn't shut it off, and it was really frustrating. And then it became a discipline, and then it became a practice. And now it's, it's an absolute joy to spend an hour in my head, and it's, and it's to... 
gotten to the point where, where when I'm driving, I'll even meditate. I'll stop at a red light and meditate, and it's really kind of amazing. You never have to worry about when it's time to wake up because the guy behind you will always honk, <laughs> right? And then off you go again. And then, but but even even the reading, um, uh, you know, the, the the many books, and and you know, I, I always read the book of the month here, and so on and so forth. And you got to understand, you know, part of my story is. At the age of 25, I was functionally illiterate, right? Uh, which meant I, I, you know, collapsed to grade nine because I couldn't get through school any longer. I have a form of dyslexia that's very challenging. When I had kids, I memorized children's books to to read to my kids. Uh, then when I went back to university um, uh, for three years, I had books read into tape recorders so I could read along and retrain my brain. But, but even to this day, I mean. Ask my, my poor wife when I'm texting, I'm still, you know, how do I spell this, how to spell that? Because the, the text, you know, uh, doesn't even, uh, spell check doesn't even catch the words that I make up, so to speak, right? Um, but, but now, you know, if you were to, uh, you know, take all my possessions away, the, the one thing that, that I would hang on to is my library. Um... This, this center, and, and I'll, finish, I'll finish it up. I, I'm going to end it here because I okay. listen to this guy talk. But, uh, you know, just to tell you my testimony of the center is, is you know, I found a home here. I, I, I embraced the teachings uh, of the church, which is many, many different um, processes. And just to enlighten your life, I can, I can promise you if, you, you know, if it's, if it's you know, more friends or abundance you're after, that that's possible. If it's more spiritual, and, and me, for me, it's always been, uh, you know, how do I learn to think more like God thinks? Uh, that, you know, anything is possible if you, if you just embrace the teachings that, that you know, you can, you can uh, you know, embrace through, through the classes and, and the teachings and just listening to this man. Um, again, thank you very much. Thank you, Let Chris. Beautiful. Beautiful. So Chris's journey, I think, is, is uh, and, and there's so many wonderful stories in this community. You know, over the last three or four uh, Sundays, I've had someone come up and do a testimonial and tell their story. So if you feel guided to do that in some capacity, let me know, because that's just wonderful. It's another level of connection and, and community. Because we're, we're a movement that our vision statement is a world that works for everyone. A world that works for everyone. And that's a huge, huge vision. And it, you may think, oh, that's impossible. But it's, what it does is it stretches us into new awarenesses and it requires all of us to step up and continue to do our own work. Dr. Ernest Holmes in the Science of Mind, we just started our foundations class uh, yesterday, uh, one of them, and, and we have another one going on Monday night. And it's still time to, to get into a class if you're, you're interested. And one of the books we use in the foundations is, is uh, Dr. Holmes' Science of Mind textbook. On page 184, he talks about changeless reality. And in it, I want to read a couple sentences to you. He said, spirit is changeless reality. That which we call personality is the instrument through which spirit operates. But spirit can operate for the individual only by operating through them, through him and her. It's a very simple idea. But to the degree that we... Uh, open ourselves to that activity is the degree that we will see the shifts and changes in our lives or the desired outcomes. 
And so if there's areas in our life that we long to have the experience and yet don't seem able to be able to step into that, then the tools and, um, and skills and the teaching that we offer here are all designed to help move one through whatever those obstacles may be. And it could be a physical uh, challenge. It could be a, a, a relationship with money challenge. It could be a relationship challenge. It could be a, a number of things. But there's a couple of ways to approach this, but we are a movement about change. If change is not something that you're interested in, you're probably, you're probably going to be drawn to something that's a little more static. And one of the things that I love about what we teach and, and what we offer is that none of us are ever stuck. We always have the opportunity for the next um, awareness or the developing the next skill, as, as Chris so beautifully expressed, you know, 25 years old, being functionally, basically functionally illiterate and, and memorizing nurse, uh, stories, children's stories to read, to pretend to be reading to his children. I remember when he shared that story in our foundations class a number of, uh, probably a year and a half, two years ago, and it was just so touching. And so we are here not to maintain the status quo because the status quo is maintained without our giving any energy to it, which is that we are all spirit in form. We are all the individualized expression of the one. So that's a given. And what happens then as we do our spiritual work, as we do our, our meditation, as we do our prayer work, as we confront those issues within our lives that seem to be the limiting idea, then the, the, the quality and the experience of our life shifts and changes. So it's gradual, it's sequential, and it's inevitable, as you've heard me say a number of times. And for many people, it's not fast enough. But the point is, is that whatever it is, we're all going to end up eventually doing the, the, the inquiry and the examination and the reassessment and coming up with the new ideas. At some point in time, we're going to do the work. And, and it could be now or it could be down the road somewhere. And I, you know, I don't want to characterize what that might look like. But for all of us, so change, the understanding what change looks like, and I have to tell you that, that part of this for me, what inspired this for me is that, you know, I've been here 11 years, and I would say around uh, year eight or nine, a lot of stuff started happening. One of the things that happened was we had, um, um, we had people in positions here that, that I knew that what was happening for me was I was compromising many times around what, what I knew what we stood for as a community and it wasn't showing up, and so I had to make some really hard decisions. And I made those hard decisions, probably the best thing I've ever done in my ministry. And when I was reading, I've been reading, I was spending some time with Irvin Seal. And Irvin Seal is a wonderful writer, no longer with us, but he looked a lot at the life of Jesus and how it translated uh, metaphysically to our t tradition. And Irvin said that when, if you look at the teachings of Jesus, once Jesus started to do the hard teachings, once he really started bringing the goods, once he started saying to people that, to those that much has been given, even more shall be added unto, people started leaving him like crazy. When he started to say that those, and metaphorically, that until one takes on the body and blood of myself, which is to take on my nature, which has been translated into different traditions, which are very precious and sacred in other traditions. But once one needs to take on, what he was saying is one needs to, to take on the nature of myself in order to access this, this realm of heaven. So he was speaking about consciousness. He wasn't talking about literally consuming the body and blood. But as soon as he started to say these things, which required tremendous shift and change within the individual, people started leaving in droves. In fact, at one point, he went up to the 12 apostles and said, what about you guys? Are you guys taking off too? Because everybody else is leaving. Because he started to get so clear in his own consciousness about what this business was about. 
which was really about giving birth to the Christ consciousness upon the planet. And within every individual, that which I have done, ye shall do an even greater. And so the journey is always one of greater clarity and greater clarity and greater clarity. And so then you realize when you're compromising, what you, when you're doing, see what, what most people do in relationship, and, and I'm guilty of this as well, is I don't tell you, and so it's an art to tell somebody with love the truth. I'm still working on that one. So what I typically do is I, in my head, I think about what I think you want to hear. And then I tell you that. And then for the most part, you'll think about what I want to hear, and then you'll tell me that. And so what we have is we have a relationship that's not based on anything authentic. We just, it's the, that I want, to, I want to pander to your feelings and you're going to pander to mine. And so what we do is we enable one another. And so what Jesus was doing was he was saying, look, boys, if you're going to hang out with me, you've got to start taking on who and what I am, which I believe in. And that was enough for people to say, I'm out of here. And so when we do this work, there's, 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 there's four stages of change I want to share with you today and share a, a, a couple of other ideas that support these ideas. The first stage whenever change starts to take place is resistance. Uh-uh, you're not changing this. How dare you? You can't do this. Oh my God, we've always done it like this. All of those things, because what happens is we go from the known to the unknown. And it's very uncomfortable. It's true for all of us. I'm not saying it's you. It's me too. You know? If someone came in today and said, where's the aisle that goes down the middle for the chairs? <laughs> it's down the sides right now. And it could be next week back down the middle. I don't know. I didn't set the chairs. But, but, is it, but you know, it's like, well, geez, I don't know. I like it better when there's one aisle rather than two aisles. And it's like, you know, there's just aisles. We'll, you'll, you'll be able to get out. Don't worry. <laughs> you will be able to escape if it gets too intense for you. But it's to shift from the known to the unknown, and it's always very uncomfortable. It stirs up emotions that are difficult for people to express many times. And so, you know, we've all had these things. You know, things happen. And and a lot of times, change is not something we choose, something that is imposed upon us. I've worked with a number of people within my ministry that have, have been traumatized by life. Heavy, heavy stuff that takes time to unravel and, and to pull up and look at. So sometimes you need more than affirmative prayer. But I think you can always use affirmative prayer. I think you can always use somebody supporting you in consciousness. So the resistance shows up. You know, when you see uh, employees and businesses and all of a sudden uh, procedures change, there's resistance. I mean, I've worked a number of jobs where all of a sudden a new idea shows up. It's like, oh, why are we doing this? You know, or this or that. And, and so what happens in resistance, there's trust is non-existent. There's, the trust goes out the window. And what happens many times with this is that the resistance shows up so strongly that people start to create factions. So what happens with, with making stuff up, and I've learned this in, 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 in my ministry, is that when, when people don't have information, and so it's so important, I realize it's so important to communicate and communicate and communicate. And, and many times that communication doesn't happen effectively. So what happens is people create stuff. They, they make up stories in their head. And the stories that they make up 100% of the time is always something negative. It's never something positive. It's always something negative. And then what will happen too is that as, as that festers in the frustration, then there's factions get created. So not only do, am I making the story up, but I'm gonna, grab, I'm gonna grab Sally over here and I'm gonna grab Bill over here and we're gonna come together and let me tell you why this is true and why we're going to hell in a handbasket. And so, but this is all the nature of it. This is the chaos of, of change and resistance. So when we're talking about new thought, when, when we say, let me do an affirmative prayer with you, there may be things that will change in your life, and you may have resistance to it at a very deep level. I want to have more love in my life. Well, then be more loving. 
Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give more love until somebody loves me back. I'd like to have more abundance in my life. We'll become more generous. Well, I'm not going to do that. Are you kidding? I mean, one of the biggest pushbacks I've had is around this idea of giving generously. I believe that we, and we do as a community, give generously. I believe in it. It's a practice I've done personally for years and years and years. It's a practice I will do until I'm no longer breathing in this body. But what I know is what, what my giving does is it activates a bigger idea for me. It puts me into that, that capacity not only of greater abundance coming into my life, but ideas and people and opportunities. Because life is, a, when you believe that life is full, you know, my friend Eileen uh, Flanagan is going to be here in two weeks to do our board uh, uh, retreat with us. When we were in Abhijandi, she took me down to John of God. She looked at me, because she has a life that is just beautiful. Uh, and, and in so many ways, spiritually as well as resource-wise, um, debt-free, travels the world, uh, very involved with her spiritual practice, her spiritual community. And she looked at me at Abhijania because she said, I have, I have no debt. My house is paid off. I paid, everything's paid off. Four years ago, this is the prayer work I started to do. She looked at me and said, money's easy. Money's easy. What if you had an idea in your head that money's easy? I always demonstrate what I need, where I want to, whenever I need it, shows up. But how many of us live like that? Yeah, one person raised her hand. Money's easy. So anyway, around this resistance, but if we understand it and talk about it, we have a better insight into ourselves and, and our makeup. And then we go into stage two, which is confusion. It's like, holy crap, what are we doing now? We went from the known to the unknown. I don't even know my role in this. We used to have, we had, we used to have uh, practitioner teams here. And I realized that now it's time for a new idea. Because when we have practitioner teams, and practitioners say, well, I, I need to be there one Sunday a month. And it was like, wait a minute, if you're a practitioner, just be here because we love you and we want you here and we want your consciousness here. But one Sunday a month is not enough. We got members coming more often than you were coming. And you're a practitioner here. We need your consciousness in the room. But oh my gosh, to hear that, like, we're not going to have teams anymore? No more teams? Oh my gosh, sacred cow. And I get it. So you got to sit in, you got to work the change, you got to work the change, you got to have the conversation, you got to people talk about it. You know, I, I'm going to miss my team. Well, you can still know your team, you still have their phone number, you can hang out with them. But, but it's very interesting to watch, and it's just a, an example. And for myself, you know, for myself as well. You know, we're getting rid of the Asilomar Conference. We're losing money hand over fist. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Well, something new will show up, won't it? Isn't this what we teach? Let's not lose $100,000 a year. You know, I've asked people to keep fighting for it. I said, well, then you underwrite it. It just cost you hundred grand a year to do it. Well, I don't love it that much. <laughs> yeah, me either. But it's sure a great idea, and you know, what do we do without it? I don't know. Something new will show up. But it creates a confusion. We don't understand responsibilities. We don't know what's going on, and there's no guarantees. That's the scary part about change. There's no guarantees. Then we go to the third stage, integration. And that's characterized by beginnings and renewal and optimism. And people want to help with the change. You finally get to the point where you want to help with the change. But what happens, what will be a backlash, is if you haven't had enough of the conversation and built enough consensus and consciousness around the idea, and it fails, it just reinforces the resistance and the confusion that they started with. And that's why when we make these cultural shifts, you've got to take time. And I get that now. You've got to take time, you've got to have conversation, you've got to listen to people's concerns. But you, what all that does is builds the consciousness to create the, the, the touchstone for the new thing to show up. And so the same thing could be said in our own lives. That's why we do classes. That's why you do meditation. That's why you do prayer. Because in your meditation, your fears will bubble up. You know, maybe you've been married a dozen times. Your, your belief may be, I don't do relationship well. 
if you've been married a dozen times. But maybe it is that your spiritual gift is that you end relationships really well. (laughs) Maybe you're really good at that. So what are you beating yourself up about? Some people can't end any relationships. You've got it going, man. Look at Larry, Larry King. I heard Tony Robbins say that to Larry King. Because Larry King's been married like nine times. And he looked at him and said, Larry, you're really good at ending relationships. And you could see a smile come up on Larry's face. I don't know how much alimony he's paying, but he's good at ending relationships. But it's the integration, and you have to understand because there can be, there can be a backlash when it doesn't work. You know, we found that out as an organization a number of years ago. We decided our group, Religious Science International, before the integration, we were going to take our annual conference to other locations. And so we thought, let's go to San Diego. So we went to San Diego, and we negotiated this big contract, and we're going to have 800 people there, and 350 people showed up. So we lost a bunch of money. So it was just an, it's an example of not nurturing the cultural shift. And we just jumped from one idea to the other idea. And so, it, 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 right or wrong, good or bad, it was it, it, it's just what it was. But an example of not doing the, the, the cultural shift to help support the new idea. So then we jumped back. Oh, we all made a mistake. We've got to go back to what we used to do. And we've done that now, and now people aren't showing up for that. Well, guess what? It's time for a new idea, time for a new experience. See, what I think people want, they want to have the experience. You want to have a spiritual experience. You want to be fed, you want to be inspired, you want to go out and use these principles in your life so your life is just glorious and free and powerful and you're making a positive impact in the world. You want to be heroic in your life. And and in order to do that, then we've all got to step up in our lives and be stretched to a new uh, possibility and opportunity. That's what we stand for as a teaching. We are the movers and shakers. We are the ones pushing the envelope. But if we don't do it individually, then we're just going to sit around and we'll be in the resistance, we'll be in the confusion, we'll be in the, and, and then we'll, we'll try to integrate, but it won't work, so then we'll step back. And then there's commitment. And then you finally reach commitment. This is what we do, this is how we operate. So there's a, Ernest Holmes was so beautiful and, and brilliant in this. He said that to learn how to think is to learn how to live. And there's a wonderful book. We haven't got copies of it in the bookstore, but we will. It's called Mindset. I was doing practitioner work. I was reading this book in the morning, and I had a practitioner session with someone, and they came into the session, and I said, I'm reading this most amazing book. And I said, what is it? And he said, Mindset. And I got God bumps. I went, oh, my gosh. You know, I was sitting with the book for two hours this morning. It's by Carol Dweck. And she said, how we can learn to fulfill our potential. And so it's really insightful. I'm going to share a little bit of this with you. She says that the view you adopt for yourself profoundly affects the way you lead your life. The view that you and I adopt for ourselves. This is basic science of mind. The view that you and I adopt for ourselves determines the way we lead our lives. And there's two mindsets. One is the fixed mindset. Believing that your qualities are carved in stone. I am this. This is what I am. I have always been this and this is what I shall always be. Whatever that may be. She continues, the fixed mindset creates an urgency to prove yourself over and over and over again. If you have only a certain amount of intelligence, a certain personality, and a certain moral character, well, then you better prove that you have a healthy dose of them. So whatever you are, i got to have a healthy dose of that. And the, and the way I keep score, the, no, the way I know I'm doing well, is someone, usually a stranger, validates it for me. 
So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm running around proving myself and proving myself in the environment, and then I'm, having, I'm waiting for, the, uh, for the, someone to validate it. It's called the fixed mindset. Any, can anybody relate to that? You probably know somebody like that. So, there's another mindset. It's called the growth mindset. The growth mindset is based on the belief that your basic qualities are things you can cultivate through your efforts. You can cultivate things through your efforts. It's a whole different world when you're in the growth mindset. Carolyn Dweck talks about having a math teacher in in high school. She was a wonderful math student. She got 99s on all of her tests. Almost 100% on every math test she took up until a certain grade. And then she went into a, a classroom with a teacher that didn't believe that girls could do math. Girls are not good at math. And so she said, spending time around that teacher, her math scores just spiraled downward consistently because she believed it. So here she was doing great in math, and then all of a sudden this person that was given authority said, you're no good at this. So she fulfilled his, his opinion. So she, she, she continues, although many people differ in every which way, in, it is in their initial talents and aptitude, interests or temperaments, everyone can change and grow through application and experience. Do people with the mindsets, and this is really important, I believe, because this is a misnomer within our teaching as well. Do people with this mindset believe that anyone can be anything? That anyone with proper motivation or education can become Einstein or Beethoven? No. But they believe that a person's true potential is unknown and unknowable. That it's impossible to foresee what can be accomplished with years of passion, toil, and training. See, this is what we're about in this community. It's spiritual practice. We offer spiritual tools to help you give birth to this possibility. But if you believe you're not good enough, what do we do with that? Where do we go with that? That you can't learn? How do you teach that? And there have been many people that have been traumatized that I've I've seen come through our doors. And so there's probably a deeper level of care that's necessary there beyond and deeper than affirmative prayer. And so I encourage people. Many times I don't have the skills. I'm not versed in that. That's not my expertise. I can help you with the spiritual component. But you may need to sit with someone else and and let it bubble up and look at it and come to the understanding that that was your experience and that was unfortunate. But it is not who you are. You are a changeless spiritual reality, as Dr. Holmes said. That is a given. That is a divine birthright. No one can take that away from us. And so we grab onto stories and experiences and then we drag them along with us. And then when we have the opportunity to step into the newness, we say, well, I can't do that. There's not enough time. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the resources. I'm lacking. There's not enough money. Oh, okay. And then then what they want you to do is agree with them. And then you're stuck with them. You're both stuck in poverty. Money's easy. That's my mantra. That doesn't mean that I'm not careful with it or I spend what I don't have. Money's easy. Because I've spent the majority of my life saying, I've got I to gotta fight for every nickel I can get. Work hard. Put myself, you know, work, work myself uh, as hard as I possibly can and, and fall over in exhaustion at the end of the day. That strategy didn't work for me. But it's been through using these tools and practices where I've come into balance and harmony with, with money, with relationship, with approval a lack of approval, with projection. I love this stuff. Did you know that Darwin and Tolstoy were considered ordinary children? 
that Ben Hogan, one of the greatest golfers of all time, was completely uncoordinated and graceless as a child. That the photographer Cindy Sherman, who had been on a virtually every list of the most important artists of the 20th, 20th century, failed her first photography course. That Geraldine Page, one of our greatest actresses, was advised to give up for lack of talent. You can see how that, the belief that cherished qualities can be developed creates a passion for learning. Why wait? I love this. Why waste time proving over and over again how great you are? Why waste time proving over and over how great you are? I say throw up your arms, declare victory, you're great. You are sweet. Why waste time proving over and over how great you are when you could be getting better? When you could be getting better. But when we have that fixed mindset, when we have the people around us telling us there's only so much of this, there's only so much of that, I think we are here to live lives heroically, individually and collectively, not to impress one another, but to mind the depths of our being and be able to stand in the, in the, opi- the good opinions of others that will tell you that you know, we shouldn't move a silomar, we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't make changes. If we continue to, to if, if, our, if our core proficiency is we are the community that believes in un, un, unbounded possibilities and we make sure we maintain the status quo, you can't do both. You can't, it, to me, it, you can't do both. You can, you can maintain what Dr. Holmes gave us, that God is, God is individualized and expressing in and through and as each and every one of us, you know, in, in Scripture. And, and, and I just read The Zealot, and if you haven't read The Zealot, it's a great book. It's by this guy that did 20 years of research on the historical Jesus. And it's brilliant, and I love it, and it makes perfect sense if you read it. And then you realize how the, the whole movement evolved and who took it, took it where they wanted to take it. But I believe the teaching stories are powerful, just like telling a Nazruddin story. You know, he's the Sufi uh, uh, clown, and it's always a teaching story. But I believe the teachings from Scripture are profound and powerful. And so in one of the stories, Jesus is walking along with the um, apostles, and he says, Hey, Jesus, let's go get some figs over there. Man, we haven't had a fig in a while. And so they run down to the fig tree, and they get to the fig tree, and they look, and there's no figs on the fig tree. And this is really controversial, because this is not on the reel of all the great miracles that Jesus performed, but he curses the fig tree. And everybody, what's up with that? Not Jesus. Jesus wouldn't get upset. Well, after this, it's in Mark, right after this, he goes into the temple and kicks over all the tables and sets free all the sacrificial animals. But the point being is he's standing there, and he curses the fig tree. And so, and they come back out a few days later, they come back out of the city and they find the fig tree all shriveled. So many levels to this story. Number one, if you read the Zealot, you understand that what he was opposing, he was opposing the status quo of the government because the Roman government was so oppressive. And he was very involved in that. And that's why this term, the Zealot, came from and why he wanted to make changes. He wanted to make changes politically. He wanted to make changes spiritually because what was happening with the Jewish community, which is what he was part of, was also there was this abuse of the people. And there was this, this whole thing of paying homage and bringing different animals for sacrifice and, you know, giving everything to the temple. And so at one level, what Jesus was saying is stop giving to that which does not produce results that are beneficial. Your political system, your spiritual system, we're giving homage to it. We're giving all this energy to things that are not reciprocal, that are not aligning us with our highest and best good. They're keeping us in victim consciousness. What he's saying to us individually in that story is stop giving your thoughts, 
your mindset to things that don't produce fruit. So if you think the world is unsafe, you ain't going out of your house. Nothing wrong with that idea. You are free to think whatever you want to think. But is that thought fruitful? Is that thought going to take you to where you want to go in your life? What is it that's activated within you? Because there's something that's an error belief in you that says there's not enough. In this particular case, there's not enough safety. I can't go to John of God. People, I talked about John of God and, and people have stepped up. We have over 30 people going. I'm really excited. But I had people say to me, well, I thought it was free. I, tr- I thought he didn't charge. He doesn't charge. But the, but the, um, the airlines does. <laughs> what do you want John of God to mail you $4,000 so you can go? Part of the spiritual practice is having enough, uh, having enough consciousness to demonstrate the good so you can do that. And you might have air miles. Somebody here won a trip. Were you here when Shirley Stubbs won the trip? Was that fun? I don't know where Shirley is. She's probably home packing right now. But she was so excited. Shirley wins the trip, right? And so everybody's left, and I'm standing up here, and I'm doing something. And, and, and then she'd think of something. She's back at the table. Then she would go, oh, and she'd turn around, and she'd run up to me, and she'd say, you know what? And she'd tell me a little piece, and then she'd run back to the table again. And then I'd be ready to leave, and she'd go, oh, and she'd run back over to me. And she was, oh. she was darting around here like a little uh, water bug the whole time. It was just so adorable to watch. She'd be just so excited. But the, but the point being is, is that we get to choose moment by moment what we're going to pour our energy into. And so if we know the right things and the right people are showing up in my experience so that I can move forward in my life in a more gracious and beautiful way to live in freedom and joy, as Chris was saying in his, in his sharing, his whole life has been transformed by doing his spiritual practice. He shared at the first service. He said, I work about six hours a week now, making more money than I've ever made in my life. If that appeals to you, fantastic, but anything is possible. He's nurtured that consciousness. So it's, it's really what we decide moment by moment. And if our ideas are not producing fruit, then why keep extending them? Why keep offering them to the world? Oh, I can never do that. Instead of the growth mindset, you know, in, in, in this book by Carol Dweck, Mindset, she said that, that there have been chemistry students. There's two ways of, that, of learning. Chemistry students will go in, they memorize the terms and the qualities of the chemicals. They take the test, they do really bad on the test, they say, I suck at chemistry. I'm not taking it anymore. Where other students will not do well on the test and they'll say, there's another way in for me. There's another way for me to approach this. This is possible. I can learn this. I just can't learn it that way. Ralph Waldo Emerson, who influenced Ernest Holmes tremendously, he quit teaching because he said, I cannot keep teaching this way. All I'm doing is forcing students to memorize. And so if you memorize really well and you're motivated, you do really well in school. But it's the critical thinking and it's the ability to understand, I can, I can make my way in here. I can figure this out. And that's true of our spiritual practice. People tell me all the time, I can't meditate, I can't meditate. Well, there's ways in. And your, your form of meditation may be different. Chris said he meditates at the, while he's driving. I've, I've, ridden, I've ridden around with him a few times. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> I haven't, and I don't think I will be, but... <laughs> our attention steers our perception. Our attention steers our perception. And our perception controls our reality. Our perception is the gateway to our mind. This is the most powerful tool we have. 
is the most powerful tool we have. Whatever we are saying yes to, this infinite intelligence will agree with us. And that's why it's so important to be mindful. That's why it's so important to stop giving energy to something that is not ever going to produce fruit. The relationship that you're trying to change him or her that will never change. The job that you're miserable in that may not ever change. And so how do we shift our perception in that so that it becomes sacred practice? And, and finding in the way out of it is to find the, the qualities of gratitude and forgiveness within it so that it can be transformed in our own thinkings. So then we're free to stay, so then we're free to go. Because when we hate something, when we hate something and we leave the environment, we'll just replace it with another hate. A, a few years ago, um, there were so many things going on here, and, and it was well beyond my, my abilities and comprehension. And I, I thought, you know what, I think I'm going to leave here. I think I'm going to leave this community because what I longed for was something easier, something that felt more like love, something that felt more like I want. My teacher used to always say, why be anywhere you're not loved? Why stay anywhere for 10 seconds where you're not loved? And so in that, you know, I started doing my looking and, and, and deflecting and all this stuff. And then I realized there were issues within myself and there were issues within this community that where, where spirit wasn't showing up as beautifully as it could. And so I dove into the co-creation work, which is this deep, very powerful, we're doing a sacred healing service this week. And it has been profoundly transformative for me and it has been beautiful to watch it unfold in this community. But what I longed for was newness. What I longed for was the experience of, of what, what was the ideal and I wasn't experiencing the ideal here. But I also realized that if I didn't stay fast in this, if I didn't do the work that was before me, then what I would do is I would leave and I would recreate it somewhere else. The characters in it would change, but what would happen is that, what, unfortunately, I would go wherever I went, I would take myself with me. And so I knew that I either, I either stand fast to what we teach, what we believe, and I call upon people that have gone before me and have stretched into consciousness so that I could look at this with new eyes and shift my perception. But if I was in the mindset that this is me and I'm not going to change and I'm not going to grow and I'm not going to do anything, I'd be in complete opposition to what Ernest Holmes stood for. So what I did is adopted the mindset, there's some learning here for me, there's some growth here for me, and there's some healing that can take place for me. Because I watched the same patterns that, that happened before I came re-emerging. People getting in, stuck in the second kingdom of consciousness, which is challenge the leader and creating this, this discord and then leaving. Same people that left 10 years before have left now. And I realized this is heartbreaking because we hadn't addressed that as a, as a community. But this is the beauty of the work. So you either get to step up in your life and do the work or you keep repeating the pattern because who we are in consciousness always shows up. And so I share that with you. In a, in a, and so what's happened for me now is I realize I have started over. I just didn't have to go anywhere. All the relationships for me are just different. And so isn't it interesting? And Marcia Sutton said this to me, you want to be free enough to go so you're free enough to stay. Oh, wow. That means I've got to stay here and do the work. And so I continue to do that. And I continue to do that because I find that fascinating and interesting and life-affirming and joyful and freedom. And we're going through, I'm part of the leadership council, we're going through the exact same dynamic with our leadership council right now. 
And I thought, isn't it interesting that locally I had to develop the consciousness to be able to sit in that so I could be part of the discussion that's going on with our larger community, which is resistance, confusion. We've always done it this way. We can't do it a different way. But it doesn't work anymore. So let's have the conversation. Let's use our spiritual practice to bring the newness in that's valuable. And that's why we come together. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. And it's so powerful and wonderful and exciting. Because when we're in that growth mindset, it's possible for all of us. Great love is possible for all of us. Great abundance and freedom and joy and satisfaction. Not based on numbers, not based on people's opinions, but based on our level and awareness of being. And then we we identify with with what Dr. Holmes said in here, this changeless reality of spirit, which is heaven on earth. So thank you all for being part of this journey with me. I love you all. I'm so grateful to be part of this community. And we'll see you next week because i got all kinds of good stuff to share with you next week. Blessings. <laughs>